0: Um, maybe I can do something on my end of levels. Let's see here. No, no. Maybe something on my end. No, this is good. It sounds actually slightly distorted now on your end. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of that with you, too. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, my input volume's cranked, so who knows? Oh, okay. Well, maybe Uh, I'll... I'll
1: kill everything. Turn down
0: your input volume just slightly. I don't know if this um, is coming out distorted on the on the uh, broadcast. Well, if it's coming out of my board oh, that, distorted, then it's com- that's good.
1: It's better. Okay, cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Much better. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll kill I'll kill everything that's uh that might be uh taking up some bandwidth. Okay.
0: <clears throat> yeah, let me let me uh do my normal turning up my bass so that I sound um, uh radio show and macho and drink my uh uh, espresso soda which is delicious any more banter should i just play the opening theme oh which which one do you want uh, you just read my you just read my um most
1: anti-eth book yet probably <laughs> it has,
0: it's like it has unabashedly eth yeah <laughs> yeah there's some there's some
1: real snark in there patrick actually had
0: me take some stuff out um <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's like, is this really necessary? And I'm like, ah, probably not.
0: I to Come on, I got to get the digs in. Yeah. So, yeah, which one do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Here, let me turn it up so you can actually hear it, because otherwise you won't be able to. No, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh,
2: not a viable solution to this.
3: We, we need to goof through a turning point in the study of, of this whole domain,
0: away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by, you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work.
2: I have this hunch that, the, um, that, this, that this phenomenon
0: is, um, comes, from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information. And the fact that they can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit a domain it's also pure information.
3: Are we go uh, condition here? Have- yes. <laughs>
2: so
0: Oh, there you go, Josh. Yep. That's the one you wanted. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and life would never be the same without muted trombone. Is that what that is? You sent me one quite a while back.
1: Yeah, I was I was um so I um teach private lessons at a couple of different area high schools. Um and if uh if I don't have a student show up it just turns into subsidized practice time. So I was bored because I actually hadn't brought my tuba and I I play trombone at like play tuba at a professional level. I play euphonium at, you know, a, a, a um A you know a a, a motivated high school, a motivated uh, collegiate level, but I play trombone. (laughs) I play trombone at the level of an untalented, (laughs) of a a, a, a talented but unmotivated high schooler. Basically, my friends, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso?
0: (laughs) i think i got the
1: pictures wrong but you know
0: i think it worked fine (laughs) let me turn that down so it doesn't give us a surprise during the show (laughs)
3: yeah Um, uh,
0: josh sent that to me a while ago so the new book thieves in the night yeah first interview yeah first interview um josh gave me first dibs when's your next interview
1: uh, t- tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. So, yeah. <laughs> I better post this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I uphold my promise. Um, you know, hopefully this partially makes, uh, you know, I think any time in the next 10 years, you're going to be able to get me to do anything that you want me to, because I'm going to forever have this guilt of falling asleep and not getting to try my birthday cake the last night of Paramania.
0: <laughs> you know, what? Just... if I can, if I can mine that, uh. That guilt for favors—I think I'm going to do it. Oh yeah, it's going to from now on and into perpetuity. It's it's going to happen. Okay, good, good because this new book I I thoroughly enjoyed it and as promised I read at least some of the what, um, it King of Night Queen of Day. Oh, uh, king of a uh, king of morning queen of day. That's it. I read up to page 50 and I realized the guy is basically a UFO researcher and his daughter is seeing fairies.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of tailor-made for me. Um, I just finished a similar one that kind of it's a little bit less a little bit less obvious on the UFO side of things, but I just finished another one that was recommended to me called The Woodwife. And between these two books, it really is some really Fantastic representations of fairy lore and fiction. I mean, you can tell that these people have um, both yeah. authors. Yeah, both authors in this case have have really done their share of. Looking into the research and, uh, you know, the, the the UFO thing in King of Morning, Queen of Day, even though you'd never guessed it from that horrible
0: cover. Geez. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, how do you find these, these uh, <laughs> cheap romance novels?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's awful. My wife gave me so much crap for that for so long. Um, but uh, it, it really does sort of double down on the UFO thing. And, I mean, basically what it comes down to is, is it's almost a, an entire novel about the co-creation um, idea, which, you know, I, I think uh, – you know, kudos to you because this idea has been kicked around in fiction for a while, but to really pick up that torch and carry it into some sort of um, at least a thought experiment, but something with some sort of you know scientific scientifically possible um, rigor is is something that uh, I think we will all be very happy to see uh, as as unfold um, in your continuing future.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, and I, I, I have never said in any way, shape, or form, this is an original idea that, that I'm working with here. But um, on to uh, Thieves in the Night, which uh, I, I don't have it in front of me. What's the What's the subtitle? A History of Child abduction.
1: Oh, I can't remember. Oh. A, a, brief, a Brief History of Supernatural Child Abductions. That's it. Coming in at 468 pages.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know, the last 100 pages of it is like, what, 1,500 footnotes.
1: Oh, I think it's like the last hundred and fifty pages it's um yeah, it's about fifteen hundred footnotes um I think it's circa six hundred fifty sources and then an index
0: with about six i think six thousand entries in the index too. Where the hell um, do you find the time? I cannot believe the breadth of uh research that went into the book just by looking at the notes in the bibliography
1: um you know a lot of a lot of it uh is because i live a pretty anti-structural life um i do too uh, but maybe
0: that's bad go
3: ahead
1: well you know i mean i will often have uh for example i'll i'll do a morning session at a at a you know at a a middle school like i do a lot of you know low brass clinics and whatnot (laughs) so i'll have a morning session and then private lessons that afternoon and Around here, the middle schools don't get out until like 4:30, so the kids mm. don't get out until five. So it's going to be a late night. So I'll just take my, you know, take my laptop and go to the library. And you know, a lot of this, uh, I actually finally bit the bullet uh, for this project, and I have uh, the entire uh, flying. I think I, actually we. <laughs> I think you might be aware of this. Um, I, I have the entire flying saucer review run as PDFs, and I have the uh, entirety of the Muvon back catalog up until about 2002. Uh, and so I actually took the time uh, back in February of 2017 to run optical character recognition on all those, oh. uh, which, I mean, which was literally my computers being on for about two weeks, me uploading PDFs and just running through those, um, which was a pain at the time. But having that, you know, accessible to just be able to plug in a keyword and, and find it. Yeah. Uh, really sixty six. Sort of or
0: No, I'm sorry. sixty. Oh no! 1955 through 2004. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're just That's having a that a lot uh, of flying saucer reviews.
1: Oh, having you know, so having that accessible, and then there, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't know how much. I'm not saying that I I, I only um, use PDFs, but uh, you know, a good chunk of these texts that we're looking at are. Public domain texts like Evan Evans Wentz, like um, oh, Sydney Hartland's yeah. *Science of Fairy Tales*. A lot of that stuff, you know, OCR and just being familiar with it through the other books and stuff too, just sort of made that part of the process more streamlined. Um, so yeah, that was that, and then the index was just—I couldn't have done the index if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't, you know, the middle of the summer.
0: Uh, oh, you had to do the index too. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Some people.
1: I oh, to some I
0: hate who, doing indexes. Oh,
1: well, you know, I talk, <laughs> But I you people, people really who,
0: like them. I really like them. I just yeah, don't no, like they, making yeah, them. They absolutely
1: love them. I, I I talk to some people who are like, you know, well, can't you just automate that? And theoretically, you can. But the example that I always provide is if I want to do an entry for fire, I not only have to find like it, I have to. If I were to build search parameters for a program to find instances of that, it would have to be fiery, which is spelled differently um, right fire flames burning, mm-hmm. um, and combustion all like, kinds of stuff, yeah, and not include stuff like trial by fire right um, right so it's it's just easier for me to come up with those terms and you know and search and find them yeah, and do bot, them bots
0: don't work for that
1: yet, yeah um you know it's at some maybe it's some you know I'm sure
0: there's some black budget index bot somewhere.
2: <laughs>
0: under, yeah, some you know. kind of promise software that does indexes <laughs> for the CIA, I don't know. Yeah,
1: exactly. But <laughs> unfortunately it's not available to us peons, so uh nope. yeah it's just a bunch of sweat equity. But hopefully, I mean, you know, it's it's um markedly different from my other books in a lot of ways. You know, there's the scholarly
0: Yeah, there's scholarly a, and there's a there's a lot of opinion there too, but just like this is an opinion. We're playing with ideas here. Don't get excited. There's a lot of that in the book, and I really enjoyed it.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah, I was just you know my thing was um, a Trojan feast. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> which is a blessing <laughs> and a curse.
3: You know? <laughs>
0: a blessing and a curse. Well, and then you with fooled everybody. Deceit. It's fine. It looked. It was fine to me. Uh, anyway, I appreciate
1: it. Well, and and then with brimstone, the brimstone deceit. It was a lot of. Uh, I really had to dive into chemistry more than I had wanted to or thought I would yeah, do. and was I was, a
0: lot of that in there, but you needed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It needed to happen, but I was I sort of was looking at doing the prospect of doing a third book, and I was like, do I, you know, what do I want to do that really is going to, uh, you know, um, keep me engaged and really keep me pushing forward on something. Something I really love and, you know, I think that there's a little yeah. bit of a gap in the literature. And, and it's, it's fairy lore, of course, you know, it's fairy lore and changelings and all that sort of thing. And it's also nice to write a book that's a little bit creepy for once, you know. I, I, yeah, it well,
0: was kind of creepy. I liked it. I liked the the. Uh, it seemed not. Uh, you warned in the beginning of the book there was going to be difficult stuff, maybe slightly offensive stuff to people and all that. And well, I'm really hard to offend, but I'm surprised how far you did go into a lot of these things. Not, you know, not into like you know disgusting detail, but just enough to let people know what was going yeah, on, I mean, what was going on, um, at these certain times of history, um, what, uh, s- specific acts were probably performed or thought about or whatever. And the, they're all germane to the narrative and what you're talking about there. It's not, it's not prurient, of course, but
1: right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it took me some dark places. That I didn't really want to go, you know, the one that whenever people I'm talking to people about this, I'm like, yeah, when you find yourself writing about, um, you know, uh, uh, black magicians in thailand harvesting human fetuses and gold plated <laughs> realize he
0: made some odd career choices i mean jesus i had never heard of such a thing it brought up a strange uh what like gold plated beef jerky kind of thing in my mind yeah, like just, i could not yeah. get rid of that image <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's
1: yeah, unsettling to say the least. But but you know, and then sort of sort of the third component was, let's write something creepy. Let's talk about fairy lore that you know really floats my boat. Um, but also you know with the way that I sort of interpret things through this sort of fairy fate hypothesis, the more of a more of a sort of Gaian possibly
0: yes that's, anything
3: that's but, anything but the ETH.
1: Yeah, um, I, I realize that I, I'm sort of negligent or have been negligent in really taking a stance on the hybrid issue, you know, which is a huge part of modern UFO lore. But Mm -hmm. I just, I just have preferred in the past to be agnostic about it and say, I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's exactly what it's presenting itself. So to me, it was like, okay, I'm actually going to get into this part of the literature that I think is kind of goofy and I'm going to face it and see if I can't find some way to possibly provide a suggestion that might reconcile with some of the stuff that I'm a little bit more interested in.
0: So, how did your other books lead into this one, or did they? I mean, it was—it looked you could see shadows of this coming before thieves in the night. But uh, how do you see it?
1: A lot of what I've been doing has really taken a sort of a more ten thousand foot stance or ten thousand foot view of a lot of this stuff because, you know, ever, ever since a Trojan feast, it, it's it's become more and more clear to me that these things are, are quite connected. And, you know, there was a time when I was flirting with the idea of, you know, is 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 the modern, you know, alien abduction, alien contact experience, you know, just highly suggestive of fairy lore and vice versa, or are they the same thing? Um, and that's an idea that I not only wanted to pursue for people, because I think as I Kind of mentioned a couple times in this book. People pointed out, but I don't think real, they realize the depth of how close these things are related. Um, and so for for me, it was just really sort of driving that home, not only for you know for for readers, but also for myself. And I I feel pretty confident at this point saying that I don't think that either one describes the phenomena um, objectively, but I think they've got to be the same thing. Like it's not that's that. In the lion's share of of cases, I think they've got to be the same thing. Not saying that there hasn't been some sort of extraterrestrial visitation, but I think that if you look at, you know, the bulk of contact experiences, there are just too many similarities there. Now, you know, setting aside stuff like, you know, Pascagoula or uh, Cisco Grove, which are the sort of their own things, I'm just talking about yeah. like the modern the modern stereotypical experience yes. Yes. is yes. a prepackaged version of, of of fairy lore. Are they fairies being perceived as aliens? maybe are they aliens being perceived as fairies maybe i don't i don't know what they're describing but it's describing the same thing hands down um you know one of the things that really surprised me that i didn't really dig into in the book that much but i i really would like to give some more attention to is this idea of um this idea of uh implants because that was another thing that i just didn't really know how to reconcile with this idea that fairy lore was very similar to modern ufo lore and then i really right. learned about the fairy blast which you know the idea of a blustery day or a blast of wind is this idea that these supernatural forces can ride on winds and actually you know give you a fairy blast which would actually manifest itself as like a a tumor or a boil or a cyst um that was suppo- that supposedly had detritus in it some sort of foreign object um, yeah like found some-
0: you said like dirt or clay or sand or yeah
1: yeah um i found some compelling stuff uh from Newfoundland where a lot of the fairy blasts up there were perceived as having strings coming out of them, which sounds a lot like, you know, Morgellons now that Morgellons is even a real thing or that it's definitely tied to alien abduction, but you hear that trotted out a lot. So it's just, I I feel that even if you take a, you know, a, a niche slice of one, meaning either the UFO abduction experience or, you know, the, 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 fairy fate, if you take a slice of one, it will be mirrored somehow on the other. I think that's, I, I personally have, have reached that conclusion uh, yeah. for a lot of these cases.
0: Well, uh, it was a revelation. I don't know who suggested reading the book in like 1992 or something um, Evans Wentz, Fairy Faith in the Celtic Countries, which you rely heavy, heavily upon, but you build, you know, you go like a hundred light years beyond it in your sources. But when I read it, the first thing I thought was, what's the subduction thing? What's the UFO abduction thing? It's everything that I can think of, practically, a good chunk of it was in that book, which was written by a guy that walked around, what, Britain, um, England, Scotland, Wales, and a Brittany in what 1911 yep. mm-hmm. or
1: something <clears throat> yeah i was from that mm-hmm.
0: yeah and and just ask people what what is the fairy fa- fairy faith what do you what do you think of the uh, of the good folk what do you think you know and he would just uh he collected all these ethnographic notes about all this stuff and and just reported it straight out and put i guess a little bit of interpretation on it but not very much that to me was <sighs> fascinating
1: yeah, he actually, uh, you know, sort of the back half of that book towards towards the very end. There's a I've, little I've
0: bit more. I haven't read it in years. I, in fact, I don't. I don't even know if I have it anymore. <clears throat> I had the one with the Terence McKenna introduction in it.
1: Oh yeah, see, I haven't read the Terence McKenna introduction, which I'd love to. Um, but you know, uh, Evans Wentz was interesting because he did trot out a couple of non physicalist possibilities to explain the fairy folk, and it was pretty pretty bold move it feels like in retrospect, I don't know if at the time it really was or not, but, um, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a, it's a great book, but it's also the reminder of a tragedy because a lot of this, um, a lot of this folklore is not gathered under one single umbrella, you know, it's sort of scattered to the four winds, whatever of it survives today. Um, you have to sort of find in, in a, in a litany of other books and yeah, you know, parsh you know, there are some, there's certain, um, certain collectors who were complete uh, fabricators and certain collectors who uh, collected and embellished. And, you know, so so it's to really have a scholarly approach like, you know, uh, fairy faith in Celtic countries is an absolute blessing to the field. You, you, it was probably, you know, I can imagine it was probably the that suggested it. I mean, I, I believe if memory serves, it pops up in Passport to Magonia numerous times.
0: Uh, maybe that's that. maybe that's where I heard about it. Yeah. 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 Um.
1: It's the only thing that's like in a lot of ways I think that being interested in alien, uh, in uh, fairies is is one of the few things that's more shameful of them being interested in the UFO phenomenon. <laughs> Cuz you know what do people what do people always say, "Oh yeah, <laughs> I believe in UFO, I believe in UFOs and unicorns and leprechauns." And I'm always like, ah! <laughs> you know, I have to bite my I have to bite my tongue a little bit. Uh, I guess
0: so. I don't know if this has happened to you Josh, but I've gotten to the point where I almost kind of don't care what people say. I mean it's like if there's a legitimate complaint or I'm not a complaint but a legitimate argument have you considered this kind of um discussion? Yeah, fine, but if if it's the um the uh nothing but and what's wrong with you? I I immediately move on to other things. I don't even have to you know, do not engage. So well, I don't you know, know if you've, that- I don't know if you've gotten to that point yet or not. I mean, kind of. I mean the way that my brain is sort of wired
1: itself and filtered it's filtering stuff right now is whenever i hear that what i hear is we might as well believe in the pop culture representations of UFOs, yeah. unicorns, yes, and fairies, yeah. you know, because yeah. I feel like whenever you actually talk to people about some of these things about, you know, some of the really compelling UFO stuff or if, or if you say that, you know, um if you admit as i think any open Minded, intellectually honest ufologist has to, that a lot of this is misidentification. A lot of this is an Orthodox aircraft with a small, you know, percentage, a small, but not insin- insignificant percentage of, of genuine anomalies. If you start to, you know, get people to talk about that or to talk about, uh, you know, sort of the, the consistencies, the, uh, the intercultural consistencies of something like fairy lore, they tend to soften a little bit. Um, the problem is just getting them to that point or finding someone who's, you know, for me... For when me, nobody's the,
0: listening, that helps a lot. Yes, I would say that. I'd also say Meaning that... Meaning um, not online, not in front of an audience, not making fun of somebody, not, not having to stake out a... Um, territory and defend it from somebody because people are watching if you do things and I said this in a talk recently I said uh, u- ufology and this is not my observation consists of uh, peer review consists of fighting on Facebook so <laughs> so the, <laughs> mainly yeah, yeah. But, uh, but if you can get people like private message or on a telephone or whatever you get a completely different discussion going you know, and that that that's what I like. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, no, no. I, I totally agree. Or you know, at, at, I mean, I think that's a, lot, that's a lot with a lot of people. I think that if you get if you get the clergy or the or the uh, the uh, rocket scientists to the bar uh, in private, then the the dialogue
0: changes. I mean, I uh, yeah, I, I had a very because I think a lot of them are truly curious. They just don't want to admit it. Oh yeah, of course, and like I will, I will take a yeah, curious consider without believing is is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I would take a
1: curious, um, a curious, well educated skeptic over an open minded believer, uh, intellect, intellectually non curious believer, or you know dullard any day. I mean as it's to me it's it's the people who 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 can't even be bothered by this stuff that are the real killjoys the ones who <laughs> the ones who yeah. uh ones who are so much more worried about uh you know uh, if they need to refertilize their lawn and they don't even want to talk about this and you know the people the people who never go beyond small talk even with their closest friends and and family are the ones that just absolutely set Sap the energy out of me I I spoke with you briefly about this and a first spoken with somebody else about it but I was quite shocked to have a very dear friend who is a long time long standing skeptical materialist atheist uh kind of fellow uh who has recently gotten a you know a job with a a, a very uh a very prestigious
0: Scientific institution, yes, <laughs>
1: institution, yeah. Um, say to me that not only does he suspect that there have been other uh, other organizations besides NASA that have put people into space, which is just like, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> yeah, not, not necessarily even like a c- in, in, in secret, but like I think that's just that's that to me is you know the the first sign of, of someone who's like willing to engage with some of these other yeah, subjects. Opened
0: up a little bit, yeah. Just go beyond yeah. the, the public narrative and the I'll be embarrassed if I mention this around my friends narrative. Yeah,
1: exactly. But also, you know, talking about psychi- the, the, the possible objective realities behind the psychedelic experience, hmm. um, which was, you know, we have the other real shocker. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's representative of this sort of cultural sea change that I think we're all seeing. Um, of course, the, you know, the way it's going to go is that it's. It's not going to be the people that whispered this reality, or well, sorry, it's not going to be the people who who shouted this reality rather from the mountaintops for decades. It's, you know, that are actually going to get the you know the credit. It's going to be the people who dug their heels in and finally, eventually said, "Oh, maybe there's something to it." That are going to pick up the torch and get all sort of the credit. But I, you know, as long as as long as there's, uh, I mean, I guess a rising tide lifts all ships.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know. I think there's some ships that have been. Um unseaworthy and uh now there's going to be they're going to be large ships coming through and pushing them out of the way uh well i hope yeah i, I have this hope that that's what's going to happen like <laughs> somebody that knows what they're doing has a has an academic credential which is not always required but it, people like that um has the uh intellectual weight behind it uh the equipment the money and all that to sort of look into this stuff if they just plow through amateurs who make claims and go on the circuit or whatever, that's fine by me.
1: I mean, yeah, please, you know, eviscerate away. I was killing some time in Barnes and Noble the other day and I was very, uh, we'll get
0: to you your book here in a second.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course this is going to happen. Um, I was spending some time and some time in Barnes and Noble just killing time and, uh, it, it was so disheartening to see some of the names that were on the shelf. I'm not even talking about people that are controversial. I'm talking about people that, let I me mean, just those sort of old standbys, those Zechariah Sitchins and you know those sort of things that are fun and I think that they're important to have a working knowledge of if you want to be interested in these subjects. But yeah. it's kind of just pushing a, uh, it's perpetuating a a a bunch of myths and memes that. A lot of people are are beyond for good reason. But that's what's on the shelves. You know, that's what's available. And I guess we've all got to have our own, you know, sort of uh, gateway drugs, as yeah, it were. Yeah,
0: well, Perkins pointed that out. David Perkins in the interview that I posted. It's just kind of like a, what did he call it? A, a meme. What did he call Meme it? farm. Yeah, know. A meme plex. A group mm, of right, ideas right. and beliefs that support and play off of each other. Um, and those can be good and those can be, you know, deceptive or bad or whatever. And uh, we talked about both. So, yeah, ufology is like a giant memeplex um, of stuff and with all of its own little rules and it's it's um, incestuous. Anyway, um, it, to Back to Thieves in the Night – since you, you you gave me this this night we're half an hour in and we're just now starting to talk about the book. Well, no, we've we've gone off um, gone off the rails, but uh, let's get back on the rail here. If you had to give somebody like if um, Patrick wrote to you and say, what are you going to write about? Uh, and, well, actually, when you're done, if you had to give a film pitch description of the book or a synopsis, let's start with that, and then we can we can go to my other thirty three questions or thirty two or whatever they are. Oh geez! Oh, um, we don't have to get through all of them. We'll never get through all of them. No, I'm just I'm I saying,
1: oh geez, about the film of uh, the film pitch. Okay, um, not a
0: film pitch. Just like or just if somebody said, Pu-, yeah, put it put it in a all paragraph, right. and then we can uh, we can uh, you've sort of done it already, but maybe maybe we can uh, start again and put it in a paragraph, and then go on with uh, some of my questions about parallels no, between uh, abductions I, and uh, the world of the dead and all that stuff.
1: No, that, that, that's good. I, I I suppose that I would say. Uh, trying to understand expre- modern expressions of folklore particularly pertaining to ufology through the lenses of shared worldwide folklore um skepticism uh medical advancements and uh and well all of that with an emphasis on um the fairy folklore of Celtic countries. That's probably the most succinct. All right. Distillation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and the uh, less people uh, wonder what's uh, about the uh, cultural, what do you want to call it? Um, centeredness of the, of the uh, book. You actually do go through, I think painstakingly. So through uh, other countries, traditions and draw uh, some parallels, which are some are, you know, so similar. It's kind of, kind of frightening. Um, not frightening, but startling similarities. And um, it's all generally in this the, the, this thing of little people and the other and another world and the interest in children is not specifically confined to the British Isles and Brittany.
1: Yeah, and the thing that really surprised me is how, you know, even <clears throat> something as specific as the changeling idea, the substitution of a child, um is not confined necessarily to that Celtic, uh, culture, nor is it, I mean, nor does it not reveal itself in sort of interesting inversions and, uh, evolutions in modern ufology. I mean, you see the fingerprints of that same tradition. Um, and of course, everybody's like, Oh yeah, I know, I know other people have pointed out that alien hybrids look like fairy changelings, but no, I'm talking about some other really weird, weird stuff here <laughs> and there, um, that just you shouldn't, couldn't, uh, if, if you look at it through the right lens, uh, it, it sort of turns into, you know, like I said, inversion or a, a remaking of a lot of these changeling things. Um, yeah, the, 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 uh, the, the book not only talks about, you know, this, again, this Celtic fairy lore, but also goes through a lot of just entities and creatures in other parts of the world that, uh, that abduct children, um. Something that Patrick really wanted me to do that I I didn't really look into that closely was uh, you know Thunderbird lore. I had talked a little bit about it in passing, but he really wanted me to do a little bit deeper dive on that. So I provided that, and of course, you know, uh, there's a chapter on Sasquatch. You can't talk about Sasquatch can't do so. I can't do something like this and not talk about Sasquatch. Let me put it that way. And uh, yes. also, you know, the missing four one one phenomenon, which I think has a lot of relevance to to where this whole the, the way that I interpret this phenomenon, at least, you know, myself. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll get to that um, near the end Sorry. here. because keep no, on no, jumping ahead. That's okay. I mean, we, we can jump all over the place. Um, I, I, I do not do these things in any kind of order. I do, well, well, screw it. You know what? <laughs> the, you made a great statement, actually, in that chapter on the 411 stuff. And you said that uh, the fairy lore answers all of David Polite's missing 411 criteria for disappearances.
3: Yeah,
1: it does. I mean, I'm um, you know, I I just I I feel mean, and like- I
0: didn't see it feel like you forced it either. I mean, I read it, it's like yeah, that's, as far as I know, that seems to be what's going on here. You even dealt with the with the, uh, fo- the with the fogs and the inclement weather and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think missing four one one, whatever someone interprets it as, that whole phenomena is. I, I'm saying in the book too, it's like a paranormal Rorschach test. I mean, it's it yeah. really says more about what you're interested in and the way that you view things. Uh, whenever you sort of posit a, a theory, now of course the irony is that I'm saying <laughs> I, I can say that and then say that fairy lore is the most expletive, uh, explicative sort of model to view it all through. But at the same time, if you if you take a lot of his criteria it's a pretty close match. Um, the types of people that are taken, uh, the circumstances under which they're taken, uh, the sort of issues sur- sur- surrounding, uh, clothing, um, whenever people are taken or discovered, um, even the positions of certain bodies. Um, we'll talk about that a
0: bit. It's like, interesting. Uh, for examples.
1: Of, well, for examples, <laughs> for examples, you guys, <laughs> uh, Meaning, there seems give to be me more a than one in the cases and again i think the missing 411 thing is a lot like a lot like uh you know light, strange lights in the sky i think a lot of it can be ascribed to as something mundane or something covert but there is a genuinely anomalous you know percentage mm-hmm. um of cases um but in a lot of cases uh, where it appears that um people have uh, voluntarily disrobed including children um, in the wilderness, if you set aside explanations like paradoxical undressing, where someone is, hy- is experiencing hypothermia and is actually undressing as part of a side effect that something not only people are aware of, but people who are experiencing hypothermia will actually start to feel like they're really hot and par- you know, paradoxically undress. Yeah, if you set aside you know ex- explanations like that, De- you can find um, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you'll find, you know, uh, for example, one remedy in fairy lore was to take off an article of clothing and invert it. The idea that by inverting the normal, you could actually remove yourself from the fairy realm. Um, there's a really interesting uh, ethnographic bit that I cite uh, from the Hawaiian Islands where uh, it was tradition, t- if you saw the Minahune, you know, sort of the... The, the night marchers they're closely associated with with for, for all intents and purposes they're basically hawaiian fairies you yes. were to uh take your clothes off and, prost- and prostrate yourself you know plant yourself face down in the sand uh before the before the Minahune and they would sp- and they would spare your life well a lot of these bodies are found in ex- that exact same position um so th- those are just some of the things. Uh, you know, the, this, this this intense connection to inclement weather and the fairy folk is something that is shows up in a lot of different cultures, um, but particularly in, uh, in the Celtic Isles. Um, so the perceived similarities and the sort of heritage of the people who are taken, uh, all of them have, um, you know, rich, robust fairy traditions. I mean, if you look at sort of the... I would say that beyond, um, beyond, you know, the Celtic countries, the, the countries that have that sort of really strong fairy lore would be, you know, uh, the, the Germanic peoples, uh, Scandinavian peoples, but also, I mean, you know, Native Americans. I think I, I read something today, uh, uh, that, uh, every every tribe every native american tribe has some sort of fairy lore and these are sort of the ethnicities you know less so with with native americans but those are the those, those are the sort of ethnicities that go missing in the missing 411 uh examples but also you know a lot of people have cited this uh trend of people who are experiencers having you know sort of uh, sort of uh, more likely to have a, a bloodlines from those certain countries now i think there's some issues of you know bias that we can definitely talk about in a very open and honest way um about that perception but i think that there is right. no shortage of those people who are experiencing those things um so <laughs> there's all this stuff there's you know there's um there's plenty of uh, berry picking is a huge example uh, people in missing 411 are usually associated with going berry picking i have an entire section of the book dedicated to uh lore warning about fairies tending to lurk around berry bush- bushes and to take people i mean there's and actually, that's a small, a very small sample of what I found. I found a couple of different chapters in several different books talking about uh, just collections of stories, like not even legends, but like stories from the 20th century of people who, you know, in places like Newfoundland, again, right. that has a lot of strong uh, Irish uh, folklore actually have disappeared from berry bushes and, and, cl- and come back in trances, claiming that they've you know, been taken by the fairies. Well, when people are recovered and missing 411 cases, they're often in a trance. So, again... I'm not saying that it's a lot like, it's a lot like the comparison between the, 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 the uh, contact yeah. experience. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's objectively fairies. or anything. Yeah. But I think that they're trying to describe at least, at least some fairy lore is trying to describe this missing four one one phenomena and nobody wants to really give it a look because it's fairies and it's silly and it's stupid.
0: <laughs> but there, there is a rich vein of this fairy lore I mean you, you say fairies and it sounds airy fairy, right? Um that uh is resonates quite well with a lot of the a lot of other anomalous experience. Um really well. And uh there's a case to be made, um what did I say in here? I wanted to discuss the idea that when we touch what we call the mystical, and miraculous, we're looking at a realm where our sense makes no sense. I wrote this down while I was reading your book. Um
3: and that, really there, there's another book. sort
0: of sense that rules, and you specifically make this point. Another sort of sense that rules, whatever that realm or that dimension or that even just idea of those things might be.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, I think so. Part of the part of the problem with seeing a lot of these parallels between fairy lore is I think that that people's um used to. Describe. They used to use the words fairy and supernatural interchangeably. You right. know that's fairy. And so what we end up with is we end up with a lot of of uh, of things that sound like they're fairy lore, but they're actually just describing the supernatural. And when you come along, you know, centuries centuries later, decades later, you can say, well, look, it's fairy lore. So I think I'm I'm, I'm entirely aware of that. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is, I mean, sort of. <sighs> Well, we've been talking about how fiction really describes this and how things are better felt than said. I mean, if you look yeah. at Alice's tumble down the rabbit hole, we're all mad here. Um, yeah. And I think, that, I think that when people experience these things, they're sort of lapsing into – I think it's a really good way to put it that I hadn't really ever considered, Greg, is that there's sort of um, logic – the fundamentals of logic itself go out the window in the other world um and maybe that's a reason that people who are researchers some experiences but you know people who are researchers um sort of tend to struggle with you know being able to exist <laughs> in this world yeah you know, as, as as dark as that sounds you know yeah. i mean there are plenty of there are plenty of us who you know i mean who are struggling with just the the trying to live these structured lives and you know i I think that i think that whatever this is is rubs off on us a little bit
0: yeah somebody made the uh, point the other day on one of these uh, on one of our discussions online if you're doing this research you should subject the absurd to rational examination and i didn't know how to start with that how do you subject the absurd to rational examination that makes no sense to me I think you have to live with the absurdity, you know, I mean, in yeah, some I, way and let the absurdity lead you. Does that make any sense in the no, context of well, what we're talking about in your book?
1: It's it's the astronomer coming up to uh, the microbiologist and saying, no, you need to look at it with a telescope. <laughs> it's like, you know, you can't do that, you know, uh, just as much as I can't look at what you study with a microscope. It, it's It's just it's the wrong tools for the
3: for yeah. the situation
0: or it's just too much focused I, I think the if we look at anything in 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 your book or any of these weird things it's so and we were just talking about it it makes no logical sense and if you start to try to yeah. make logical sense of it it's like that that princess leia thing the tighter you squeeze the more it slips through your fingers
1: yeah 100 percent. I, I don't know if you um i just read a a bit of uh, my idea anyway I just read a bit of um, writing from my dear friend Timothy Renner, who I'm not sure if you've, you've probably seen his name around because um, yes. he, he helps on Where the Road Go a lot. But he uh, wrote a bit of – I believe it's uh, going to be a forward to a book or, or an opening chapter about how, you know, um, why should we – you know, we all get called crazy by people who are interested in these things or people who refuse to see a lot of these similarities. At what point do we say – i mean yeah that's part and parcel with what we're dealing with is that we've ended up seeing the world in a little bit different way than a lot of people um it's a really compelling piece i can't wait for it to come out in whatever form it does but that's sort mm-hmm. of i mean it's it's kind of fortuitous that I, I i read that earlier today and this is a line of of of, of conversation that we're have embarked on
0: yeah um unless you want to continue it um there th- there's a lot of talk of liminality in there, and that's, that's been kind of a theme or a leitmotif or something on this show for a while. Um, so when we talk about the fairy faith and the, these encounters people have, how, how does liminality enter into it? Because the encounters are liminal, the places they are are liminal, the times, and even sometimes the people. Yeah, in, I mean, no, that's, are in that's, kind that's of that. that part of their lives. I mean, it goes back to sort of the George Hanson, um, Jeff Ritzman kind of thing. No, that's that's a great setup.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing, and and again, Tim and I talked about this. Um, Tim Renner and I talked about this again. <sighs> I love the liminal concept, and I think that there is no question, a lot of value in it. It gets to the point where you can say that anything is liminal. You know what
0: I mean? <laughs> if you like, think, think
1: about it long enough, yeah. Well, I mean, summer, summer is the, you know, summer for, 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 for a high school student, summer is a liminal period or, you know, more explicitly between high school and college is a liminal period. Right. But if you take this idea too far, you can say, well, high school is a liminal period between middle school and college. Well, no, that's <laughs> not. So if you look a little bit hard, you can get sort of liminal pareidolia, right? Yeah. 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 That's but, a great phrase. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um I just, I just came up with that. Um There's a T shirt. Yeah, it uh, it's actually it's not that Watch bad the
0: liminal paradolia, uh, Bud. It's hot. Yeah.
1: Um but uh
0: <laughs> Yeah, so so in terms of the fairy
1: faith, you see this manifested and at uh being active around um dawn and dusk, uh being seen around the edge of the forest. Um, trolls hiding under bridges. Um, but, you know, with, uh, the, you know, with a little bit greater degree of pertinence to the, the matter at hand, this idea that um, the liminal realm for the fairy folk is where they can exert the most power. So, again, on the edges of towns, on the edges of uh, woodlands, um, or, you know, They can exert the most power over people who are liminal, which you sort of mentioned this idea that if that children were most uh, vulnerable to fairy abduction between birth and their christening. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It's something that you will see time and again with a lot of European cultures. Um, And, you know, even in some pagan cultures, the time between birth and naming was similarly functioned similarly as a liminal period um, when and uh children would be more vulnerable to spirit attack. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it, it
0: is uh it's a, it is a pervasive theme
1: um in a lot of this in a lot of this this literature in general.
0: Do you think it's important in your discussion because you bring it up a few times in the text of the book and how it uh these liminal times are important and that uh oh what did people do? You know, what? what are, people like to hear these stories, but wh- how did people deal with these liminal times and before children were named? And what did they do to keep children from being taken, exchanged, whatever you want to call it? What forms did these? Uh, these, I guess, you want to call them superstitions. Seems kind of weird. In the there's a, there's a siren for you. Seems, yeah, yeah. Seems kind of weird in the context of trying to be rational or whatever you want to say about this or academic, but. Um, it'd be interesting to hear what what kind of things were employed and why they thought they were eff- efficacious. There's a word.
1: Yeah, no, that's a that's that's a that's a that's a fifty dollar word there. Yeah. Um Some of the practices to sort of safeguard against fairy abduction make a lot of sense, and some of them make no sense.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, it, we can talk it, about in- that too, actually.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, because some of them you read, like some of them you'll read and you'll say, okay, well, there's associated folklore that helps to make this helps us to make sense. Bread could be used. Bread and salt could be used. To ward off fairies, especially in like parts of Germany, you'd put breadcrumbs or an amulet in a baby's clothes on the way to baptism because they were actually literally vulnerable on the way to baptism because it's like double secret liminality, right? (laughs) You're
0: You're not uh, only in between the time, you're in between from going one place to the other. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Do it at at dusk and you're really screwed. Yeah. Um, But – and and the reason for that is because, well, you know, salt and bread are – prophylactics against the supernatural have been worldwide because bread is seen to have sort of miraculous uh, you know, uh, life-giving properties, and salt has preservative properties that make it seem miraculous. Salt wards off decay. So, like, that sort of stuff makes complete sense, but then you have stuff, you know, there's... um, uh, there's one culture i can't remember which felt that literally if you changed arms of children too often that sort of changing could cause a changeling you know
0: yeah or, if you were uh, holding the kid and you switched i think it was i think it was uh russia maybe yeah i can't remember i can't remember where it was I, don't, now, I i i've, I've read, read it more recently it. than you but go ahead i'm sorry um, no,
1: that's okay <laughs> um you know it's, it's which is kind of kind of odd um you know the 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 habit uh, in parts of the british isles of carrying around hagstones which are you know i'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there that can cite some folklore i didn't do an incredibly deep dive but on its on the face of it you know that doesn't entirely make sense the idea that uh you need to feed a baby newly born uh soil or like or peat or something i don't know exactly that an example for why that is doesn't really, uh, doesn't really spring spring to mind, you know, um, in some places having, you know, a black cockerel in the house, uh, would ward off, uh, fairies. Sometimes people might say that's to keep people from, uh, keep people from, or or to keep the fairies from sneaking in, like the cockerel would sort of go off. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, One of my favorite means of keeping, uh, keeping all sorts of worldwide spirits at bay is this idea of getting them to compulsively count, which is one of those oddly specific things that you see everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, in France, supposedly
0: unconnected cultures. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. In France, if you put out a, some, you know, some peas or some grain by the door, the Lutens, the French fairies would come in and knock it over and be forced to count, uh, you know, over and over again. Um, the number of, of grains, uh, you know, in a lot of African-American cultures in the South, you could leave out a broom or a colander and, you know, uh, an old hag, you know, the sort of the, the sleep paralysis entity would be compelled to count the number of holes in the calendar or the straws and like you'll find other cultures you know, talking about tasking the devil with counting grains of sand or the stars in the sky as part of the, part of a bargaining, uh, part of a, you know, part of a way of saying, well, I'll agree if you can do this and it keeps the devil busy until he forgets about ever having a pact with you. Um, you know, some stuff that I just learned about recently that didn't quite make it into the book is that there's this form of, uh, I believe it's Japanese, I believe it's Chinese tattooing or pictography where if you actually, the actual idea is to make a maze so compelling, that uh, a, a circuitous maze with no real exit so compelling that a spirit would get sort of trapped in that iconography of the maze and not find its way out or the idea that um if you uh if you put out a like 11 grains of rice on your doorstep in the bayou. If the Lou came to your door, the Lou can only count to 10. So it would <laughs> get to 10, have to start over every time and would never, you know, until the sun came up and then it would have to go back to, back to its door. So it's, that's one of those things that is just so specific and so odd. It suggests to me that there is um, some sort of objective other that is, I mean, honestly, what it suggests to me is that there's some sort of objective spirit realm populated by entities that are obsessed with legality, you know they're sort of legalistic um which you see in fairy tales all the time, you know you know you violated this you violated this uh part of my pact or you know you've got to deal with the devil that you made at the crossroads that have certain conditions that have to be met that seems like something that uh is is an objective spiritual
0: human truth uh that is
1: kind of unnerving because it's so consistent
0: yeah uh actually uh steph wrote and said um she actually pointed this out they're like you know there's a there's a, there there is a logic to the the crazinesses of, uh, of a lot of these uh uh what it beings or 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 entities or whatever you want to call them to the point and then you pointed out to the point of like this horrible left-brained obsession with it where you think that yeah. something that that liminal and that supernatural would not care about dumb things like that?
1: Now, is there an example? Because you're, I mean, I like I like you know UFO porn as much as the next guy, but yeah, uh, who doesn't? Is is there is there anything that springs to mind in in ufology that has that sort of? This isn't a trick question. I'm I'm legitimately asking: Is there any <laughs> ufological case where that sort of tendency rears its head. I'm sure there's got to be some example somewhere. But.
0: I rack my brain. I cannot think of one where somebody was had thwarted uh, any kind of uh, encounter by by presenting the entity or whatever it is with some sort of problem. It's usually as you... And there's a whole other section of your book. You know, it's usually as as uh, people say, it's uh, if it's something you don't want to happen, you you, know, you don't eat the fairy bread or drink anything they give you or um uh in 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 andruffle's case when she's talking about the abduction thing uh you know um well maybe you could talk about it. You know, like certain things that would keep um the the good pe- the good folk from taking you or your children away um, were actually research, and this was fascinating to me by, by Anne Druffel for her book "How to Prevent a Alien Abduction." I think that's what it was called.
1: Yeah, and that book feel, is really forms the core of one of the later chapters in my book. <clears throat> and I sort of outline. And a lot her
0: of being the, Catholic, I thought she would be very um, Christian about while she went about it, but she wasn't. She was very um, uh, 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 cross cultural. She was. She said anything that works, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was it was
1: it was it was really interesting to see a lot of i mean some of the things that she suggests you see in fairy lore um to the extent that she actually even posits some stuff that haven't shown efficacy in alien abductions but because of the connection to fairy lore she suspects they will um she uh she does does endorse this concept of you know reaching out to a spiritual entity or something you know uh, uh Praying or or calling out the name of of some sort of uh, religious figure that has special meaning to you, and you know it's interesting. She says that it doesn't seem to really that people of different faiths can call upon different uh, different entities, and you know uh, there are uh, people who uh, people who have said uh, that it only works in an exclusively Christian context. Um, I believe you, you've run into some people. <laughs> Who say stuff
0: like that? Yes, uh, and it's interesting. I, they least, don't force the, 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 the belief on me, so I don't care. I don't happen to yeah. agree with them. I think that, uh, yeah. And they say, well, people from other cultures have done it and it's worked. That's like, well, how has anybody called on you know the Prophet Muhammad or something like that? That's a a Buddhist. Did that work? How many, yeah.
1: yeah. How many people have how many people have gone? Oh, well, Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> Please save me from your feet. <laughs> um, but the frustrating thing is that there's just no data on this, you know? I mean, yeah. honestly...
0: Yeah, how do you honestly, get data on this stuff?
1: Yeah, and, and I would I would love to see a data of the number of alien abductees who are not baptized. See if there's actually a, a mm, correlation. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. given, given you know, given just the, the sort of uh, power that the fairy folk supposedly had over people who weren't baptized, I, I wonder if... Uh, you Know, I, I wonder, but, but again, there's nobody's keeping this data, so we just tread water as we have been.
0: Yeah, something I noticed, uh, another thing in the text about uh, whirlwinds and that fairies would come on in, in the midst of whirlwinds or dust devils or whatever they are. And the first thing I thought of was the house taking off in Wizard of Oz and being transported to a different, to a completely different reality on a whirlwind, you know.
1: I actually hadn't thought about that but that's 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 completely consistent I mean uh you know this idea of this idea of the uh the storm being a trans a, a sort of portal a liminal
0: event uh, well yeah I mean,
3: uh, okay I won't liminal, bring that word
0: up again I'm sorry
1: no no I'm just, I'm just trying <laughs> no I'm not saying I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just trying to figure it out myself yeah um but uh that just flashed
0: it, in my mind when you when you when you mentioned that the in the text. I was like, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's that also, you know, the, a dust devil is called the devil because of that very reason.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. And you'll find that that's, that's another one of those consistencies. Well, sorry, let me back this up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Maybe it's not so much liminality with the storm, but maybe it's more about anti-structuralism and this idea that, uh, I mean, my wife and I were hiking around <laughs> today. We were hiking around blood mountain, Georgia, which is supposedly the site <laughs> of the, uh, supposedly the home of the Nunahi, the cherokee little people and we got caught in about 30 to 40 minutes of just absolute pouring downpour and you know being in in a being in a forest the moments before and during a really big storm like that is really terrifying i can see why people freaked out over that um but this whirlwind dust devil sort of idea i mean you'll find that so so in in you know celtic lore Uh, fairies could travel on whirlwinds and that's one of the means of them by which they abducted people and took them away in Hopi folklore and I believe if memory serves amongst both uh, Jews and Muslims um, in the Middle East uh, uh, whirlwinds could cause miscarriages Um, whirlwinds could actually be a means by which people especially children could be taken to the other world and that's just that's that's a pretty diverse cross section of cultures. Yeah. Um now what does that point to? Does that point to something objective and objective intelligence or does it point to some sort of deep seated uh sort of jungian archetype of the storm? I don't know, but it definitely points to something besides coincidence in my opinion.
0: Yeah. It's uh it, it's just something that would um uh inexplicable uh, that did not fit in with the normal everyday day to day about what you would encounter. Especially, I don't think there's there's not nearly so many of them in in Europe, really, because of the the topography and the weather and all that. I think they're a lot more prevalent in the in the in the wet in the Midwest and the American Southwest and desert areas. Um, yeah, that would definitely make sense. Um, and you know, it's it's uh, I mean, this, this is tied into what we sort of talked about
1: earlier. This idea of the fairy blast because the fairy blast um, would not only um, would not only sort of give you this sort of uh, this sort of boil or tumor or or sore or whatever but the very act of, you know your entire limb could be replaced by this artificial limb, this stock or this fetch which is a way by which uh, sometimes uh, pe- uh, the changeling would be replaced sometimes changelings would be would be sickly fairy children. Sometimes they would be elderly fairy men, um, because most most abducted, uh, abducted uh, children were were men, if we were to believe this.
0: Um, Male, but, anyway, uh, yeah. Right. Wait, uh, yeah, we should guess, probably just, explain uh, the changeling thing
1: here in, more in, accurate. in a minute. Yeah, we probably should. A bit. Um, but, but some of them were, were stocks or fetches, which meant that either they were sort of an illusion or a doppelganger, or, or sometimes literally a stock of wood that was big glamored to appear as your child. And over time it would just appear more listless and and sickly. So
0: makes you wonder about the log lady in uh, in twin peaks at that point.
1: Yeah. I kind of, I've kind of wondered if that's not a sort of oblique reference to that. Um, the problem, the only problem is that you don't see the, the, of all the sort of explanations for what changelings were, you don't see the doc explanation crop up as much as the other. So this changeling idea is a a deep-seated idea in a lot of world cultures that an entity of the other world um, comes and takes your child because it is more desirable than the children of the other world and leaves behind an undesirable of their world. In some cases, a sickly fairy child or an elderly, uh, basically useless um, fairy or other world spirit Mm -hmm. uh, person. And the reasons for taking them back uh, to their world tend to vary, although there's a strong tendency for um, for them to actually seek out sort of new blood to improve bloodlines in the other world. They actually that they need this infusion of human vigor, as uh, one uh, folklorist called it, to actually keep the uh, survival of their race going. Which anybody who's listening to this, worth their yes. ufological salt, knows that's a, you know it's a, a Exact representation of, of what you see in the UFO phenomena a lot of times in regards to hybrids. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of sort of the heart of the uh, the heart of the book is this this is a chapter really going the comparative route not only pointing out stuff like that that people have po- pointed out ad nauseum. I mean Graham Hancock's done a great job of it. Uh, Jacques Vallée obviously, um, Kevin Aspinall, um, Chris Albeck. a lot of these guys have really done some really good work with pointing out some of the stuff, but there are some other things that unless you're up to your eyeballs in fairy lore, I don't think a lot of people quite see right away. I mean, for example, just to give an example, um, a lot of times children, at least according to people like Bud Hopkins, hybrid children or like star children or indigo children, if they were ever brought back to their parents would often perceive their parents as imposters um, sort of their parents as the ones who are out of place, which I think is, I think can be with just a little bit of an imagination, uh, read as an inversion of the, the, the changing archetype, you know, yeah. you, you have, you know, the, the, the child of the other world has been placed into the human world, but is actually a desirable child. And the parent is, is, you know, is the, is the, the imposter. And there are things like you see that, you see that sort of thing, uh, motivically manifests itself in a couple of other ways. Um, one thing that I was really surprised to find was this great story um, of Ted Rice, who, uh, uh, in one of Carla Turner's books, describes uh, being taken to a UFO um, and his soul being transferred into a different clone body, and then him returning in a storm back to his back to his parents, um, which uh, is a changeling in anything but name I and mean, the idea that this, his consciousness transferred over, which has some implications that I go into also, but the, the, the idea that his consciousness transferred over um, is about the only thing that you wouldn't find uh, in, in a traditional Celtic fairy narrative.
0: Yeah, because to them it was a literal transfer of a body for for another one, not a right. conscious transfer or consciousness transfer or soul transfer, whatever you want to call
1: right. it. And that was one of the things that, you know, it's one of the things that Evans once. Posited is this concept of, well, maybe there's something akin to what we would describe as demon possession or soul-wandering, you know, this idea that you can astrally sort of be out of body and you can have sort of a walk-in. Um, those were among some of the ideas that he entertained in his, in his you know, his doctoral thesis, I believe it was. Um, which is, you know, again, astounding that something, something like that could, you couldn't posit those ideas in your thesis today, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, probably not. The other thing that came up as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, well, w- there are these superstitions. There are people that say that their their children were exchanged. And you know, the first thing you think of is like, this sounds like a great excuse to um, demonize, get rid of, or whatever, um, children or people you don't like. And you get into that quite heavily in the book and how that was part of it, but not all of it. Yeah, I mean,
1: again, it's that idea like... This, we've talked about this a couple other times but you know if, I think that a majority of these changeling stories yeah they have a medical um, or at least an economic uh, reason for ex- <laughs> not existing both, yeah. Um,
0: uh, yeah there's another mouth to feed and it can't really do any work so it's kind of useless and you're trying to feed four other kids that are actually healthy and respond to you and and all that other stuff, and it's like they don't pull their weight. So a very convenient thing to say is, "Oh, it's a changeling. We've got to beat it to death."
1: Yeah, and and I, I try to go through. I think there're probably about, in some total, about fifteen or twenty different afflictions that I that I go through. As no, well, right. could these be? Could these be fairy? Could these be people interpreting? Actual medical afflictions um as as being changelings because a lot of the symptoms that you see are described in other uh, you know forms of uh, a lot of congenital things like spina bifida and, uh, uh, hunter and syndrome, yeah. Syndrome, yeah, progeria hunter um, syndrome Whirler syndrome progeria but you know the the really sobering stat that I always keep on coming back to uh, is a book by uh, Elaine Farrell, who wrote a book called a most Diabolical deed, which was all about infanticide. Um, in uh, the back half of the 19th century in Ireland, um, so you're dealing with a country, you're dealing with an island, an island the size of Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. And in her survey of a 50-year period, there were 4,645 cases of infanticide, only including children less than three years old. What years That's were these? Dunning, 1850 to 1900. Ugh. That's stunning, yeah only, only children under three if a kid was three and a half years old, they weren't included in this in this survey yeah. of hers yeah. that's just that's just astounding to me, and I think it says a lot about what the country was going through, you know economically um in terms of being able to put food on the table, et cetera, in addition to you know so that's that's if you just happened to have a kid that was an, that would represent an extra burden let's 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 pile onto that the fact that this child is um you know. Uh, physically or mentally disabled for the rest of their lives. So not only they're not, not only they, you know, you have to feed them, but they're not going to contribute to society or to, or to, to the family rather in sort of a meaningful, uh, you know, working sort of way. Uh, the temptation to, I mean, the temptation of people who are just that strapped for resources, I'm sure was, was, was really great. I mean, I, I can't, I can't imagine what would, Cause a culture to sort of condone that, and I, I think if you look at those numbers, it has to be some sort of culturally condoned uh, form of birth control, which is disgusting to say, but yeah. Um, so that so was again another life, one. Of the star- life
0: was a bit more brutish then, even uh, even if we yeah. don't think it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's. um yeah uh it's it's one of those dark it's one of those dark places that the book led me to
0: um because you, you find plenty of cases
3: no you
1: didn't um, shy
0: away from it. i'd I, I mean you're very balanced in the book it's like well this could be this but this could also be it. i mean you even went into it uh a lot of these um superstitions and and faiths around the uh around the fairy folk uh had to do with um uh what uh uh a uh keeping keeping the social order and um uh yes
1: sort of like psychological norms reinforcement of of, yeah you
0: know uh, uh male domination of you know women's lives and all that
1: well yeah because i mean the the people who were most likely to be abducted by fairies after you know children especially young boys were um were women were wives so you know, you could, I mean, you could blame the fairies on a, a host of things. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm sorry that I beat her to death, but she, I mean, she, but she was a changeling. There's a, there's a book that I, again, this is, th- this, you could probably write an entire book just on, um, no, you could,
3: yeah, the, you could the, write the
1: social,
0: on, the social impact of the fairy faith.
1: Well, yeah, and just, and just on people who were killed, like flat out killed because they're suspected of being changelings. I and mean, there's a great right. book called The Burning of Bridget Cleary that talks about um, one of the most prominent uh, killings of an adult young lady who was uh, accused of being a changeling. For the purposes of this book, I focus on child changelings and there are plenty of those who were killed too, you know, dosed with foxglove or drowned in a river or just abandoned and you know succumbed to exposure. Um, you find a lot of these things. And it's for that reason that you don't find a lot of cases where you know where changelings tended to survive, although there's some in the book that I you know definitely thought it was necessary to cover about uh some changelings who you know live to be twenty but all had the hallmarks of some sort of, you know, congenital disorder or and more interestingly to me, which the cases that I found really fascinating are ones that tended to, uh, live longer lives and actually, uh, were able to sort of parlay some of their disabilities into being an asset to the community, which is, you know, a small glimmer of hope in an
0: otherwise dark chapter. Yeah. Well, they were the shaman for the community that didn't have shamans. Yeah. In a lot of ways, in, in a yeah. lot of ways. or they played music real well, or they could add up the books or whatever the hell. Yeah. um there's a there's a favorable comparison with um well that that's basically the uh uh the conclusion of the book which i thought was a really good um last chapter there about uh and w- we'll jump around too obviously but um the fact that uh these kind of things used to be seen as uh, a, lot, a lot of these things that changelings supposedly had used to be seen as something that was not useful, but now maybe in the, in this century, they might be more like uh, uh, an autistic person that can, what, um, add numbers really quickly or um, produce incredible music or whatever. And then to, you, you go even further with that idea, which I thought was fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's a razor's edge to walk.
0: It and is. I, I mean, cons- there was a Gaia thing going on there, and everything. But
1: well, I mean, you know, I'm just talking about in, in the idea of because I, I consulted with some some. I, I'm not sure if, if um, necessarily wants to be named, but I consulted with some some mutual friends of ours who I knew might have some additional insight to this. And I sort of just said, you know, is this do you do you find anything about this concept offensive? Because it really is. I mean, like it. A lot of these people who suffer from a lot of us just either have hereditary issues or just issues of chance that cause us to live lifestyles that are not the same as everybody else's. And this idea that somehow you might serve some sort of higher cosmic purpose because of that, depending on the person might not be very appetizing. So I tried to make (laughs) that as I tried to introduce that concept as sensitively as I could. Um,
0: which it's it's almost pushing into like some weird area of and the the thing the indigo kid thing came up real early in my mind when you were talking about this but it's almost pushing into that area but not like with a precocious kid but with one that is um that you really that you really have to pay attention to and and help and you know you basically have to help them their entire lives but there might be other things um going on with them that is hooked into some sort of survival mechanism maybe
1: yeah, and you know, I think that
0: maybe um, you can explain what I just said in the no, midst of, no, no. Midst of think, your <laughs> your I think answer. that I th- I think
1: that if the data that I have been shown and studied is being represented clearly, um it seems possible that there might be some compensatory or evolutionarily beneficial um attributes or abilities that some individuals uh with disabilities might actually possess um and not just you know sort of this new age idea but actually like people studying um for example some autistic savants especially nonverbal autistic savants in controlled laboratory settings exhibiting what could be called telepathy in addition to people who are you know facilitators mentioning that this is an issue too um this and this idea isn't strictly a new age one i mean you have a lot of people um Going back and looking at the behaviors of a lot of saints and mystics and, 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 and characters from a variety of world religions and, and toying with the idea that perhaps they might have actually had some disabilities that allowed them to focus on or develop these sort of spiritual uh, aspects to their lives in a ways that a lot of other people who would just spend their lives, you know, tilling in the dirt wouldn't have the opportunity to, I mean this, you know, you'll actually find some modern sects that actually, uh, ascribe a similar abilities to, to some people in their cultures. So again, it was, it's, it's for me, it kind of comes down to this idea of, well, again, it's a sort of recurring theme. Some of it's, some of it's an, an unfortunate, um, an unfortunate, uh, disability that people have to live with and they deserve our respect and our assistance. Uh some of it might be um some of it might be theophany. It might be perceiving the other, the divine, and gaining some special abilities from that. Some of it might be both. Some of it might be neither. I mean I think that there's a lot of room for nuance in in a concept like that. Um and I, I wonder, you know, if people in the missing 411 scenario going into the wilderness Places where people had revelations of the divine historically and walk about jesus 's forty days and forty nights in the desert i 'm wondering if they aren 't running into um, the other having a the- theophanic experience you know this idea of perceiving the other and are in some cases walking away from it um, in some cases walking away from it with additional insight or you know additional abilities like a lot of uh like a lot of abductees have like a lot of the fairy children returned had
3: mm-hmm.
1: or some of them for whatever reason their brains aren't wired to process that and they just they kind they of die out is, or, or they yeah yeah they, so they, they lose you know they, they 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 yeah that or they die or you know which is a, a big <laughs> a big risk and a lot of uh you know, religions of perceiving the face of god. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens if we extrapolate this idea of the divine reaching out to I say the divine the other reaching out to young children. Is there a reason why they might do that and how would a young child's mind uh perceive that? You know would it would it bend would it break? Uh, I think these are all questions that are worth entertaining. At least as a thought experiment. I mean I'm not sure if there's any real <laughs> value to it at all but I think there's value in in thinking about it.
0: That's the, the value of your book and the way you go about things is you don't. You um, examine things without basically living there with it the whole, entire time. Let's examine this idea. Let's turn it over. Let's take a look at it. Let's not be prejudiced against this idea. Let's just look and see what it has. Maybe there's something there for somebody. Maybe there's a key there. I'm going to leave that key right there because it might work later. Um, and let's move on to the next thing. Um, that, that's how I saw the book. It was just a, kind of a series of uh, viewpoints, keys, or whatever you want to call them, into the uh, fairy lore, and, and uh, an updating of it actually, because uh, a lot of uh, some of the literature. I guess the only literature I've read is Evans Wentz is you and you, um, but some of the literature you pointed out is it's sort of purely academic and not speculative. Because if you're academic, you can't go start running and being crazily speculative like you do, and that, that right, you right, know, that's the the value of both writing in a popular medium and um, your writing and you realizing, look, let's take this academic stuff and let's play with it. Well, I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate it. That's, you know, it's, that's something that I've I've tried to do in each case and I'm not married to any idea. I'm married to, I'm married to some things which I think have a good deal of irrefutable, uh, irrefutable evidence, but in terms of the broader concepts, or even the well, some of the broader and the more specific, like as what the hell is going on? What is this? Um, that's not something that you know. I, I I try to distance myself from it, and I try to provide enough sources so that if somebody says where the hell did that come from, I can say, well, here's chapter and verse, you know.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I, I did not just make that up. This is you know, I, I will tell you when I'm speculating, right? You know, and it's and it's
1: it's a speculative inference from some of the data,
0: right uh Another part of the uh, narrative I found really fascinating was doing something absurd to ward off um, uh, abduction or any 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 unwanted visits from the from the from the fairy folk um, such as boiling water in eggshells. That that goes back sort of to the almost the accounting <laughs> yeah. thing. But it seems like why would you do some would you think a an elemental spirit would not care if you did something crazy? They might actually like it, but according to a lot of tradition, it kind of freaks them out and and in some cases reveals their that's a lot of these things you reveal an identity just by, you know, there could be a, a strange child there but then they will say something that sounds very grown up like I've been living for 400 years and that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, which I think – yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those commonalities that you see in a lot of European folklore. And what I find really fascinating about it is that there are a lot of um, – no one has given an answer for why this is a common motif that doesn't sound incredibly half-assed. And I don't mean that – like I don't mean that as a criticism to anybody uh, who has made suggestions uh, because I, I don't have a suggestion really a, a sound suggestion for, for, for why that is um, either at least one that you know is completely bulletproof but yeah you'll find this thing where it's pre- the pre- the preparation of some sort of food stuff often boiled in some sort of nonsensical serving container so by which I mean it might be uh Cooking oil and eggshells. It might be water and eggshells. It might be beer and acorns. It might be <laughs> <laughs> just just silliness. Or you know, in some seaside communities, it might be porridge and in shellfish shells. Um, but the idea is that, you know, by seeing this, the changeling might go, you know, well, I saw the acorn before the Oak, but I've never seen this before in my life, which the idea of I've seen the acorn before the Oak says that they're quite old. Sometimes they'd explicitly say 4,000 years old. Am I, and I saw the trees come up in this particular wood, but I, I never, uh, I never have seen something this absurd.
0: Yeah. And then the person um, in the house goes, aha. And then it jumps out the window.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or or they, you know, (laughs) beat it to death with an iron rod or something. (laughs) (laughs) The book folks. Um, but, uh, it's, um, you know, there are enough variations on that, uh, that it seems to me that the real emphasis is always like you said, the absurdity, because you'll find variations of, um, there's one variation I found from Brittany where, uh, A a changeling saw in the half light of dusk a man coming back uh, from a hunt with a deer thrown across his horse and the the changeling thought that it was, you know, half deer horse man (laughs) hybrid Um, and then said, well, I've never seen such a creature in all my years. Um, You'll find in a lot of Icelandic legends, uh, it was common to lash a bunch of uh, rods together on a spoon uh, and put it in a big bowl of parge. So many rods that would actually travel up the chimney and the, the, you know, the changing would say, I've been around for thousands of years and I've never seen a spoon so long. Um, you'll find a lot of different variations on it. So it's this idea of, of absurdity, which, um, you know, I, it's interesting because you'll find that absurdity motif in a lot of protective measures too. I mean, we've talked about the idea of inverting a piece of clothing or, you know, the idea of, uh, putting, you know, some sort of uh, stone or something in someone's pocket as, as sort of a sort of a protective measure. So I don't really, I don't really know what that means. I don't know what that says. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what it means, but it's definitely a, a commonality. So the idea is that this was the most prescribed method for determining whether or not you had a changeling. Sometimes the changeling would freak out at being caught and would flee, or sometimes you would have to do something darker, like th- like literally like throw it in a fire, boil it in a cauldron, beat it with iron rods, like really, really dark stuff. It's not not for the faint of heart, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, there's another um, theme in the book is you know p- p- changelings what you, when you discovered you had one there were various methods to get your actual child back
1: yeah sometimes it was you know, sometimes it was this idea of, of intense physical trauma which I keep on wanting to say things but nobody's going to buy the damn book <laughs> I keep on saying things but you'll find, you'll find aspects of that
0: oh um, they'll want to read it I mean we're only going to talk about probably you know 30-40% yeah. of the stuff yeah. in the book we haven't even gotten through 20% of the stuff in the book at this point
1: that's true. That's true. Um,
0: you know, I think it's interesting. If you don't to do want to talk high... about stuff, that's fine. But go oh, no, no, no. I think, this is, I think this is worthwhile mentioning because
1: this is one of those things that people I don't think have really put together about changelings and the UFO phenomena. I think it's interesting that you know, a lot of these children who are taken by fairies, obviously that has mir- that's mirrored in the contact experience. And a lot of the children who were, who were returned from fairyland would have sort of psychic abilities or abilities of telekinesis or would uh, become spiritual people. Just like you find with a lot of abductees and increased spiritual awareness, people having poltergeist activities in their home, te- you know telepathy. Um, but the fact that abuse plays into both narratives, too. I mean, something that John Mack talked about was the fact that uh, that he was surprised how many abductees experienced abuse. Um, well, obviously, a lot of these changelings, even if they weren't an actual changeling, were abused. Um, similarly, you'll find abuse is a a hallmark of a lot of uh, shamans in a lot of cultures as well. So this to me seems like a really important clue. Um, but, you know, some of the, some of the means by which you could, uh, you could, you know, obtain your child. <laughs> One of my favorite stories is a woman who was instructed by, so you, you would, you would find out you had a changeling, you would visit a fairy wo- woman or a fairy man, a sorcerer, basically. And they would give you,
3: Certain instructions. Methods
1: which, yeah, instructions, some of which were goofy, but some of you know, I don't know, I don't know if they worked or not, but one of my favorite ones was a woman was instructed to go and pry open, basically drive a wedge of, of steel into this cleft of rock above a certain lock and once the rock fell away, she found her baby on the knee of a fairy and <laughs> smacked the fairy three times in the face of the Bible and she got her and her baby was back
3: <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that most
1: most often most often, you would torture or abandon the changeling in the hopes that the fairies would say oh i can 't believe they 're mistreating one of our own let 's give their child back so we can retrieve our our own fairy child um, but you know some of these could be get quite uh, quite elaborate i actually uh I actually do have the book here now, and i 'll read uh, read a bit of this yeah, um please uh, it's, it's the the saga of Saint Gynefort, which I find uh I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Sorry, French listeners. Um, but Guinefort, Guinefort, He was a it was a a folk saint. So it wasn't really an actual saint. It was a it was a dog of a knight who uh, the knight returned home, found the dog's muzzle bloodied and the child missing. Um, and killed the dog only to discover that there was a dead snake in the ha- in the crib and the child was hiding you know, behind the chimney or whatever. So the dog had actually saved the child even though he, and he ended up killing the dog. So it became sort of a folk saint of this partic- particular area of France. And there was a shrine uh, near the Chalaron River where uh, it was, according to local tradition, <laughs> I'm quoting here, the exhaustive process for restoring an exchanged child, so a child taken by the fairies, involved going to the saint's shrine, offering him salt, hanging the child's clothing on nearby bushes, driving a needle into an adjacent tree, which has some parallels with uh, Chinese folklore, where you would draw iron nails into, uh, into trees to ward off evil spirits, passing the nude changeling between two trunks tossing the child nine times between mother and the wise woman, all while beseeching the local fairies to take their child back, <laughs> laying the changeling at the foot of a tree atop a bedding of straw, waiting for two lit candles in the branches above the child to burn out, and providing it was still alive after such an ordeal, dunking the child nine times in the Chaleron River. <laughs> I mean, and then supposedly you'd have your baby back. So that's a pretty good example of some of the... <sighs> it's kind of Rococo isn't it?
0: Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little elaborate. Uh, that 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 I think that was the best one in the book. I mean, there were other ones about. Oh, oh God, I can't remember any of them right now. But
1: oh, yeah, yeah, there are plenty of them. Just just really just goofy things that just don't seem to make much sense. But uh, as a um, as one uh, folklorist said, uh, I believe it was I believe it was Sykes. That, you know. A lot of the importance of a lot of this folklore lies in its absurdity, because you know if you find something that is absurd in one culture, but something similarly absurd, or described similarly is in another culture that uh, that's a really important connective tissue that implies some sort of form of, of transmission between the cultures, at the very least, if not some sort of objective reality.:
0: I wanted to make it absolutely clear how you discuss the parallels between the abduction stuff. And the fairy faith and what happened. Because we sort of touched on it at the beginning, but I wanted to make sure that people realize, look, there are a lot of parallels. We don't know what the precipitating force is, but it looks very much the same. And to jump to the conclusion that there's aliens coming from other planets doing this, I think, is is possible, as you say in the book, but also premature and also maybe not intellectually honest when you really realize what's, uh, what a lot of the parallels are.
1: I think that if you are going to accept the ETH, which is fine. I mean, I think
0: that if you're going to accept the ETH... It, it is have, a viable theory that is still on the table. That, that's yes. something I, I try to get through to people when they say, you're all anti-ETH, and you think there's no aliens? No, I don't. I just think it's one, one idea. If you're going to
1: accept that you have to be honest and account for a lot of this fairy lore. You can't just say it's goofy ramblings of, of children because there there's there's too much too much connectivity there. So I think you have to I mean, when people wanna write this stuff off, or say that there aren't connections, I mean I think that uh I think that, you know, there is there's <laughs> there is a regular Fortean Times uh reviewer and someone whose literature I have loved for a long time who claimed that uh, the pretty much the extent of, of comparisons between UFO lore and uh, fairy lore pretty much began and ended at what Jacques Vallee pointed out in Passport to Magonia. Love that book. That book I would not I would not be here without that book. That book is a very important book. That is not the sum total of these similarities. Sorry.
0: No, not, no, more have come yeah, more have come up, more have come to light as you and other people have looked at the literature and gone back and seen what people have been saying for. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years,
1: so yeah that, that's that 's my only thing is when people are dismissive of this other stuff, it might be just i mean it would be the equivalent of me being dismissive of the sightings of structured craft, which you can 't really do i mean you can be you, i you can be dismissive of you know lights in the sky because those have a long standing lights especially close to the ground, but also to the sky. Um, in the sky, you can be dismissive of those within the frame of fairy work because those have been reported forever. But nuts and bolts appearing, you know, literal flying saucers, or even a lot of these triangles, I can't just say that they don't exist because I like the fairy faith hypothesis, as I've come, to take, <laughs> right. I've come to call it. I have to find some way to account for that. And I think, honestly, some part of that might be E.T. I think a lot of that personally is, you know, unorthodox aircraft, but a lot of it might be ET and a lot of it might be, you know, I think your very explicative, uh, co-creation uh, idea. Uh, so I, I think, but, but, but again, my problem is whenever people just, you know, yeah, yeah, whenever exactly. people just write <laughs> off the other stuff that doesn't fit their paradigm, it's just intellectually dishonest to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, as I've said before, um, talking about this, if you've got an idea about what any of this stuff is, anything really, um, Bigfoot ghosts, maybe not so much ghosts, but still, yeah, ghosts, UFOs. If you've got a specific idea about what it is and this is the answer to it all, there are plenty of very smart people to tell you very quickly, um, how many places that theory falls down. Yeah and yeah, no, and, they're, and they're and they and they they're not full of crap and they're not trying to they have legitimate um concerns and and issues and uh you have to take this in into account. I, I think um uh thieves in the night really does take a lot of the stuff into account by saying, "Look, it could be this or this or this, <sighs> or, this or this. We do not know." But um I think the, the other part of it which I liked and I thought was honest was um, you said something that I kind of say at the beginning of talks now, so people don't jump down my throat about thinking I'm a skeptical person or whatever. Is that I think there really is something going on. People are reporting things that are going on, and I've got a really sneaking suspicion that has to do with some external intelligence that's not human. You know, yeah, and I, I, mean, I think you, I think you agree with me on that, and and you actually state that in the book, I believe.
1: I probably do. do. I steal all my good ideas from people like you.
0: Oh no, no, th- this is not my idea. I mean, th- these are <laughs> these are th- none of these ideas are 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 original. Nothing that we talk oh, about. I, you know, you can't just go out and say no. This is what you know. Uh, um, I guess right. David Politus like and say that this, this is this is my idea. The one thing about Politus actually is he never really makes a guess about what's going on. He just tells you what happens. He just, just reports on it, and he, sort of he stays away yeah. from any what uh, uh uh theorizing about it um, which it's is admirable. you know all yeah, all we ad- do <laughs> yeah it's it, it's admirable
1: in its own sort of way
0: i think that
1: you know if i wanted if i wanted to be cynical i would say that it allows him to take this endeavor in any direction that he wants to but i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and actually assume it's coming from a, from a from a positive place but uh i think that i personally would not be able to have compiled that much Data and not suggested something uh, at some point um, because I mean that's pretty obvious that I mean I don't want to get I don't want to get off on a David Politas tangent but no, it's no no we'll obvious we'll, we'll continue
0: go ahead with with the uh, with the with the well, uh, with the comparisons with uh, abductions but please finish the thought
1: it's pretty obvious that he was he started this off looking at Bigfoot because that was sort of his jam for so long um, and now he's moved beyond that uh, as I think might be a good idea. Um, <laughs> uh, as much as I do love big old sass, I, I think that that can't, uh, you know, as I say in the book, I don't think that, it, you know, how, does, how is Sasquatch controlling weather unless it's deciding to, if, if Sasquatch is flesh and blood, how is Sasquatch controlling weather unless it for some reason decides to take people right before it starts raining or something. <laughs> some, something sort of, yeah. some sort of a intuitive reaction biologically based. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think that, At the same time, while I admire that, I feel like you could say, here are eight possibilities that I'm entertaining, you know, including, including if you want to be honest with yourself, among these eight possibilities, um, the, uh, the idea that I might be cherry picking or I might have, you know, missing person pareidolia
0: (laughs) as it were. Yeah. After uh, so I got through the Bigfoot chapter. I came up with a question very short. How is Bigfoot like a fairy? <laughs>
1: yeah. And this is this is the thing that I'm afraid of is because people are going to say he's he's forcing one into the other. But I think that if you know, you're, you're making was...
0: favorable comparisons that seem to make sense to you. Well, since you asked, um, yes, I'm asking, <laughs> how is Bigfoot um, like a fairy? There are.
1: It's it's emerging more in cryptozoology that there are places with Sasquatch activity almost uh, always have some sort of anomalous light phenomena around them, which is uh, consistent with fairy lore. Um, there have been people who have suggested that Sasquatch live underground consistent with fairies. Uh, there have been examples of Sasquatch accused of or cited shortly after livestock mutilations. Livestock mutilations were traditionally associated with fairies in the British Isles. Mm -hmm. Um, there are certain food taboos associated with sasquatch don't eat with, you know, don't eat food from the sasquatch in certain native american legends or else you'll never come back that's echoed in fairy lore um some of the smells are, are similar between ufo and fairy encounters i mean this is <laughs> i spent uh, a total of 140,000 words talking about that sort of thing <laughs> yeah um Sasquatch, like the Fay folk, uh, are accused of braiding horses' manes. You know, you'll find that behavior in Newfoundland or or the British Isles. It's or the fairies snuck into my barn. In you know Montana, you'll find people saying, "Well, it must be Bigfoot." Um, both suck uh, milk from cattle. Uh, both have the ability to incapacitate witnesses at a distance, not unlike you know UFOs. Um, you know, fairies would shoot you with their elf shot. Um, sasquatch uh, blast low frequency infrasound e you, according to uh, cryptozoologists. Um, sightings of sasquatch map onto areas of rainfall. Fairies are most active on wet days. Um, there's a an association with the dead that I think is inescapable, but inescapable between uh, UFOs and fairies that you'll also find in certain First Nations sasquatch lore. Um, There are even some cases that I've found uh, involving missing time in Sasquatch, which you'll find in both UFO lore and and, uh, fairy lore. Um, And, of course, this interest in in sexuality and hybridity and uh, abducting children. One of the things that I find interesting that I love to talk about to no end um, is that if anyone is familiar with the uh, special ops suits, like the sniper suits, the ghillie suits, the ones that uh, they're all shaggy and sort of breaks up their profile so that they can actually –
0: Sneak through the forest or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which they're 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 amazingly effective if you've ever seen one <laughs> wearing yeah. Yeah. them. Yeah, Um, uh, they're named the ghillie suits because, uh, they, uh, are associated with, uh, the, a Scottish fairy, a solitary fairy named the ghillie dew, um, who would, uh, appear, like, with a bunch of debris in its hair and would appear sort of shaggy, um, and a lot of people, a lot of Sasquatch witnesses say that they at first think the Sasquatch is someone in a ghillie suit, and this connection is not lost on Australian special forces, who actually call their ghillie suits yowie suits.
0: Obvious. Yes, of course.
1: <laughs> and yowie's, you know, y- yowie for anybody not uh, not aware is is this um is the Australian version of Bigfoot. So there there are, these, there are more comparisons there than anybody really wants to admit. I think um, not as many. It's not nearly as as um resonant as it is with uh you know UFO abduction lore but it's it's still there there's still something there i think there's some sort of there's some sort of connective tissue and you know i don't know if that's
0: i think if i'm because a lot I mean, of this weird stuff has connective tissue because i think it's it's coming through the same channels but manifesting as different things does that make sense
1: yeah yeah that's a good way to put it i was going to say like i don't know if we're just seeing where diagrams overlap or, or not, but mm. I think that's a better, I think it's a better way to put it than, than what I would have tried to have said. So well done.
0: <laughs> it is a conversation. You know that. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Another thing that fascinated me actually with the book was the syncretization of the fairy faith with the, with the, you know, when Christianity came through, how different did you think, you know, can, can you say the fairy faith was before Christianity came into the, you know, into areas that in, in um in, into the Celtic countries,
1: I think the fairy faith obviously existed in some form before Christianity, but I don't think it was quite as robust. I mean, I think that it's almost like the act of forcing this belief system underground really made it sort of evolve in a more in, mature, in a much more mature way. Um,
0: That's funny. You know, That's I mean, the point in the cheap, uh, the cheap uh, romance novel that they make. That's one of the points it's made.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I didn't, <laughs> I didn't read it or realize it. Um,
0: well, it's it's one, you know, uh, you read yeah. the whole thing. Like, I I just like in the last few days read the first 50 pages and I said, oh, yeah, I can see your points. Like, God, this person is really up on their fairy lore.
1: Well, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's a good way to put it. Um, if you look at like if you look at uh, if you look at it, it's difficult to find the changeling scenario in pagan cultures, or in pagan, sorry, this would be more specific, in pagan Celtic culture. Mm-hmm. You don't find it as much until after the introduction of, um, of Christianity. In fact, uh, a lot of the origins of the term changing in that concept actually have their roots in Christianity more than they do in, in, in paganism. Having said that, I think that, you know, there are many explanations for what the fairy folk evolved out of. Um, not the least of which is you know this idea of uh gene of specific area specific genus loci in the singular um that were basically functioning as sort of pagan gods but p- in terms of pagan gods of this particular spring or of this particular forest or even in this particular tree um have these spirits attached to it so it's this is animistic concept that you know when when uh Christianity come, came around and started doing its thing there was an effort to you know not only sync syncretize the stuff but to also uh try to explain it and in some examples demonize it so you have some people explaining you know this idea that the uh, fairies were the angels that were too good for heaven and too bad sorry too bad for heaven and too good for hell. Um, that we sort of got left behind after the battle between, uh, you know, Satan's battle against heaven. You'll find people saying that. Oh my God, they're liminal. Uh... <laughs> Imagine that. You'll... That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, you'll you'll have you'll have, uh, and ex- you know you'll have some people say that it doesn't have anything to do with the quality of their character. It's just that they were not. Uh, they were still bat duking it out when the doors to both heaven and hell, uh, you know, slam shut. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but again, folded within all this is this idea that was sort of the talk of my, um, my paramania presentation, which is this, the fact that, um, the fact that there's a strong component of the dead to this. Um, ah, that was one of my questions. Which yeah. makes me, yeah it makes me wonder if it's not um if we're not seeing just a big old ghost story and all this paranormal stuff i mean i think that we don't necessarily have to go down this route right now but i think there is some compelling evidence um that suggests that uh the near-death experience and the contact experience are sort of uh part and parcel part and parcel of the same thing there are plenty of connections um you'll find between sort of the ufo contact experience and the dead and similarly you know people will have seen in celtic lore have seen entire villages uh hanging out hanging out entire villages um existing within these fairy forts and this idea that you know there's there's one very famous um very famous poem that, uh, posits that when you die, there are you know, three roads, one to heaven, one to hell and one to fairyland. Um, not to explicitly draw like a, uh, uh, a, uh, a purgatory, uh, comparison. Right. Um, but you know, that, that idea that it's, it's, it's one of it's, it's a place where you can go after you're dead and, and you'll find that, um, how, well here's perfectly good example. <clears throat> um, a lot of the fairy mounds in Ireland uh, are burial mounds of ancient peoples. Mm-hmm. Open and closed, end of story. End of story. Um, a lot of cairns that are associated as being fairy cairns are the resting places of ancient peoples. End of story. A lot of almost, well, basically every fairy fort is an ancient, you know, um, burial area. An ancient ring fort. Yeah, it was used by ancient people.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, I mean,
1: one line of one line of um of thought would tell you that well after those human beings died then the fairies sort of moved into these areas. But another line of thought which I think is a little bit more logical is that the human beings but you know, these, these, these builders of these sites became fairies. Um and does that mean that they're just simply ghosts? Does that mean that there's you know, there's Fairies that are more akin to human be- human souls and there are some that are more akin to um, sort of guiding spirits that ex- that permanently exist uh, on the other side of the veil and have never been in corporeal form. I think these are questions that really have to be asked because the, blur- the line blurs between fairies and, 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 and death all the time. I mean mm-hmm. to the extent that sometimes a child who died would be just referred to as being away with the fairies. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that's <laughs> sometimes I wonder, because I honestly, like I've had enough ex- things happen that I'm, I've, ghosts are sort of something that I accept. And I think that for the most part, uh, they're probably one of the more accepted aspects of the, the paranormal, the supernatural. Um, and for that reason, they have tended to excite me less, but. It'll be a, a distinct irony if basically everything that we're dealing with, this um you know, the spiritual ecosystem that we interface with when we do ritual magic, this thing that appears to be the alien other when we're abducted, this thing that we experience when we're on the verge of death, a little people and little souls that tend to intermingle with uh the deceased. And even, you know, Bigfoot, who looks remarkably like uh, an ancient species of, of, of simian, what if we're just all dealing with one big ghost story? I mean, that's, <laughs> that would be, to me, it would almost be an irony. Um, the fact that the thing that is most simple and the fact that's kind of the hokiest, you know, let's go tell ghost stories, might be kind of the, the keystone for unlocking yeah. a lot of, uh, a, a lot of the paranormal in general. I don't know. It's an idea.
0: It's an idea. It is an idea. Um, the, when you're saying those things, I've, I'm thinking that we're, once again, with the, uh, the, the the sledgehammer to kill a fly, we're trying to use language and models that we're used to to describe something that is not amenable to the language and the models we're used to. We're just touching sort of the edges of the hem of the skirt of the thing. Not even that, yeah, maybe. And we're trying to posit entire worlds and ideas and concepts based on ideas, concepts, and words that we're used to. And I don't, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do it in words. It's a, you either have to experience it, communicate it through some sort of art or something like that, or music or poetry. And even then, you're not getting at it, but you're getting yeah, at it a little and- bit better. So we can we can put all these analytical tools on it, but we're still just kind of like running around the edges of it.
1: Well yeah, and, and our understanding of time
0: is, right.
1: is is tied up in language too, so
0: you know yeah, exactly. If
1: if if if, <laughs> if if we're all dealing if we're all dealing with ghost stories with the ex- when we all might be dealing with time slips maybe everything's a time slip maybe aliens/fairies slash fairies are us in the future and maybe bigfoot is us in the past and there are these moments where things just tend to bleed through <clears throat> i mean some some uh, concepts of uh some concepts of of the universe in science would have you believe that that's more likely an explanation than some of the stuff we've talked about tonight
0: yeah. Also, you know, hearing you say that, the next thing I think is that our, you know, here's co-creation again, but our our brains are much more involved in putting this together, even if it makes no sense, than, than we'd, we'd like to think. We're not going to take a picture of it. We're not going to make a recording of it. We're not going to make a video of it. We're not going to, I don't know what you could say, any any of these things, because I believe it is, in a lot of ways, it's being created while we talk about it or while we experience it or while we write about it. It's not, we're not bringing back some kind of external reality. It's in our minds. You you know what I mean? Yeah. And we're trying to describe a realm that's a thought realm, not a, not a let's go to the liminal area of go through the liminal door to the world of the fairies. I mean, that's a three dimensional way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, Um, I don't think you can see the entirety of it by looking at it in that way.
1: No, absolutely not. And I think I mean if there's I mean, if there's something that I want to be clear on, I I I if anybody listening is thinking that I might I know that you don't, but if anybody's thinking that I might, I don't believe that there's a literal fairyland that you can walk into underneath, you know uh, underneath Standing Stone X, or if you <laughs> if you stand at the center of, of of Stone Circle Y at a certain date, I don't think that's the way this works. Um, but you know, similarly, it's interesting uh, concept that uh, Terence McKenna has been talking about that I have been playing with a little bit in my head um, is this idea that you know we spend so little. People who go to the psychedelic realm spend so little time in the psychedelic realm. That it makes you wonder if reality itself isn't psychedelic and we've just adapted to moving yes. through space yeah. and whatnot in this yeah, in, in this.
0: Oh, but for know. the sake of being physical beings, you know, in incarnate in physical bodies, I mean there's there's some things you have to accept, or you, you know, the train will run you over or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I uh Yeah, it's it's just I don't think that that necessarily means that it's not real, even if it's not a physical place that you can't walk down a series of stone steps
0: into it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. real I, I real's a bad word, you know, <laughs> don't know what yeah. to say about it. There is a quote from your book, which I thought encapsulated the book. And I pulled the quote out of uh, the text right before oh God. the show here. No, it, it's a great summation of the book to me, to what the book means to me. What you said is, is uh, this book, I guess you said this book, is not necessarily an argument for the existence of supernatural forces, but rather an argument against a purely medical reading of the Changeling narrative and here we have our second shortcoming put another way explaining every facet of folklore with medicine or science or whatever you want to call it makes as much sense as explaining medicine with folklore to cram changeling narratives into purely scientific materialist worldview robs these legends of their power to articulate archetypal motifs psychological anxieties and dare we suggest in rare cases actual contact with the other world I think that is a distillation of what's going on in, um, in Thieves in the Night
1: Oh yeah, you can say that. I like that. that Why? What did you think full I full was going to
0: say? I don't know.
1: I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was that's. It took me a minute to wrap my head around it, but uh, yeah, hurt your your brain
0: hurts writing these books sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I think that um, you aren't getting to the the core of of changeling lore if you say, "Oh, it's all a bunch of progeria." Yeah, because that there's so much richness around it that. Isn't accounted for, even if he, even again, even if you're not talking about the supernatural realm. There's so much cultural richness around it. There's so much psychological richness around this concept that just saying, "Oh, it's progeria," is just incredibly short-sighted. Um, not that progeria is even that great of a candidate because of its rarity. But, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You pointed yeah. that out. Yeah, it's just it's it's so ephemeral to try and take any of the, this is what makes it more so fascinating, to take any of this stuff and just put it down to something. Also, uh, when people, I, you probably agree with this, when people say, well, all of this, you know, psychological, archetypal, Jungian, <laughs> fairy, airy fairy stuff is fine, but it does not explain, you know, it, it doesn't explain the uh, the reality behind it. And my counter to that is well you can't explain the reality behind lots of things that are very important to people, um like love and 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 kindness and 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 uh, uh what um compassion and uh a hobby you like or whatever the hell it is you can't explain all these things in prosaic terms you can only you, you can only explain them in in terms of what, the, what, you know, what psychologists and ethnologists and uh, sociologists and people that are examining myth and how we look at ourselves, those things have been overlooked continuously <gasps> yeah, for a I mean, long it's... time when, for people that are looking at weird stuff because they think that science is going to solve it. And that, that's not the case. That's only part of it. Science is going to solve part of it. The stuff that you're talking about in this book and that um, that people that take um, mythological or psychological, whatever you want to call it, approaches to this stuff—that's the other half of it. And no, you can't you can't make a you can't make a list or a chart out of it. You can't. But it's just
1: as well, you important. Know, as um, yeah, that's an excellent point. And as you know, as Saint Terry once said, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You can des- science is a wonderful tool, and you can describe <laughs> quite a great many things with it. But it won't tell you about the dynamics and the push and pull of a military campaign or a relationship or anything like that. <laughs> um, and, it, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't um, even even psychology, in a lot of ways, falls short because you're relying upon the perception. I mean, like you know, half the stuff that's in the DS, over half the stuff that's in the DSM, is all based on anecdotal evidence.
0: Right, right. You can't. It's you're grasping. You're you're picking up the existence of these pathologies by its by their frogs.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Well <laughs> yeah. put. Well put. Yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah. The, but that's all you have, you know, and that's why it's that's yeah, why just, the DSM yeah. gets changed so much. Uh, that's why ideas in the paranormal should probably be changing cons- constantly, or at least different areas of um, attention. Spotlight should the spotlight should be f- should be traveling across the audience and across the stage constantly. I think.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. And that's you know, that's, the DSM changes so much. But don't be fooled. There are no blank spots on the map, folks. It's all cataloged. It's all tidy and put away. <laughs> yeah
0: just for for uh, for a second, I didn't get the uh i don't know if it was sarcasm <laughs> oh no yeah, well,
1: i actually had i actually had to restrain myself from doing the terry McKenna voice, but I'm like he didn't say that
0: so
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> okay when well, now we're at about two hours and in in the interest of not revealing the entire book uh maybe- maybe we'll uh, finish it here if that's all right
1: uh yeah that's fine
0: uh oh that i know I, I had one more. What the hell yes. is a hybrid? I never heard that term until I saw it in your book. Oh, I am so far behind.
1: Yeah, um that's unfortunate. Um don't don't bother with it. <laughs> don't bother. Oh no, with I, I thought I, did,
0: I, I I was looking at it as a, you know, anthropological um sociological interest only. But what the hell is a hybrid? That's a new one. To me, this is like
1: the, according to the good Doctor David Jacobs, um, uh, a hybrid is sort of the distilled, watered down end game. So the alien has been bred out enough to the very, um, to the very, <laughs> to,
0: to, to the threshold level, right? And before, yeah, with, that, it's yeah. as much alien as you can cram into the hybrid. Yeah, yeah,
1: and they're indistinguishable from human beings except the fact that they are complete idiots. <laughs> and They like asking about like you know, according to the book, asking about like the proper way to eat an the rules about eating an orange. You know, the fact that you don't put all of your furniture in one room. I mean, how
0: to use an iPod? That was a good one.
1: Yeah, so it's 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 a. I mean, I'm trying not to bag on people here, but oh, go ahead and bag.
0: Who? Ca- I mean, yeah, it's pretty.
1: It's it's a pretty dumb idea, and it's base. It's 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 the it's the drum that um. It's the drum that Jacobs is banging a lot now, um, and it's it's supposedly it's the end game of this never, of this um, <laughs> always coming but never here, um extraterrestrial in game and it's just silly but but I think it's interesting that if a changeling was not returned and survived into um into adulthood um they often would engage in activity that is similarly I mean this is a production uh, but the activity that is similarly nonsensical is similarly sort of silly, as hubrids did. So you have the advanced it's a, it's stages. Not a hybrid;
0: of, it's a human a hybrid. hybrid. Yeah, so yeah. it's a hybrid. Yeah.
1: But you have the advanced stages of the hybrid program
0: hypothesis, whatever.
1: Yeah. Res, yeah. Resulting in individuals with and in say a, a significantly decreased intellectual capacity. Um, similarly, you would have changelings in the advanced stages of their life, exhibiting a diminished physical and or intellectual capacity. So I think that there's a, again, a nice tidy little, that's another one of those resonances that I don't think people quite grasp, but I think it, I think it maps pretty well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Okay. I, that that's the last one. It's just that I've, I've, i read <laughs> right. that in your book. I was like, what. What the hell? This, yeah. is, this is a totally new one. I haven't, oh, you know. You,
1: you, got, you got to read the book. Like, there's, I, I left out for every one thing I mentioned, there are about 10 things that are like, just, you know, do you eat your orange with friends? No. Are you <laughs> supposed to eat it alone? No. You know, uh, you know, why can't I? Yeah. Like, uh,
0: what flavors do oranges come in? Orange. It's not <laughs> this, is a, like that. this is a hybrid question that they would ask, I guess, according yeah, to David Jacobs.
1: It's a Monty Python sketch
0: is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the, the name of the book is um, Thieves in the Night, a brief history. I didn't think it was brief. I thought it was exhaustive and wonderful of supernatural child abductions. And that's available, what, now at Barnes & Noble?
1: Uh, Well, it's actually, yeah, uh, this weekend Amazon finally got their act straight. So it's available from Barnes & Noble and Amazon. You can find both links on my website, joshuacutchen.com, or just type in "Cutchin Thieves in the Night. It should pop up.
0: All right. Uh, and you'll be on again pretty soon talking about something that has nothing to do with this, but probably close to it. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I wanted to have another roundtable coming up here soon about I have no idea what, but, you know, another one of those, you know, kind of um Josh uh, Red Pill, couple other people thing, maybe even Soraya, just to kind of hash crap out. I haven't done one of those in a while. I've not done a Round table, let's mess around one in a while. So, uh, I'd, I'd like you to please come back for that and I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a heads up about it when it happens.
1: That would be uh that will be a lot of fun.
0: What song do you want to hear?
1: Uh, let's, uh, let's listen, let's listen to a track off an album that I listened to way too much, uh, during the writing of this book.
0: Ah, perfect.
1: Uh, cause it sort of, it sort of captured, um, Sort of captured the, the vibe. Um, let's do. There's a uh, Scandinavian artist, and her name is Fever Ray. Fever Ray. Not Stever Ray, but Fever Ray. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the song is When I Grow Up. Let's listen to that one. Or okay. uh, If I Had a Heart. Either one. Which one? Um. I don't know. actually. Well, I was going to say, I was, I was going to say, if I grow up, but I really like, I'll I really like, um, if I had a heart. It's, yeah, that, I think they, it's,
0: they both seem really relevant, at least by title. So uh, yeah. let's uh, let's run that one. And uh, thanks so much, Josh. And we'll talk to you again soon on the show or in other and, places. An absolute pleasure. Anytime, anytime you want to, I'm I'm on call. All right, so. cool. Thanks.